0: Welcome to ASME TechCast, bringing you the innovators, the innovations, and the issues that push the envelope of engineering. I'm Louise Poirier, Senior Editor at Mechanical Engineering Magazine. Today we're talking with Sarah Hendren about some issues facing engineering education. Sarah is an Associate Professor of Arts, Humanities, and Design at Olin College of Engineering in Needham, Massachusetts. She's also the creator and host of Sketch Model, a six part podcast that examines the engineering classroom as a formative site that shapes the ethics of technology and how perspectives from the arts, humanities, and social sciences shape the why and should questions about the technologies we build. Sarah, welcome and thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank you. It's so good to be here, Luis
0: yeah, I'm excited to hear about the issues that you're seeing in engineering education and what some possible solutions could be. So to start off with, I was hoping you could just tell us a little bit about sketch model and and what the series accomplishes.
1: Yeah. so sketch model um, is the uh, kind of big report out, the kind of big so what questions that arose from a four year series of programs that some colleagues of mine and I, undertook at Olin College, where I teach. So it's a small engineering college outside of Boston. Everybody studies engineering there. And we got a big grant from the Mellon Foundation that we've called Sketch Model. And Sketch Model, of course, is like a prototyping practice in engineering, whereby you try things out and tinker and test them and sort of see what results. Um, and Sketch Model supported by the Mellon Foundation. So Mellon Foundation is an arts and humanities um, philanthropic or, you know, enterprise. So they were kind of surprised to be, you know, supporting engineering education, but they wanted to. And my colleagues and I, faculty and staff, um, brought art uh, art practitioners as residents, creative residents to campus. We sent engineering students to arts nonprofits for summer fellowships. We supported kind of very open-ended, you know, exploratory research that paired, Boston area artists with engineering faculty. So we did a bunch of stuff to try to say, okay, this is a technical education, right? It's very pre-professional in that way. Everybody, again, gets the same major, basically. And what happens when the arts and humanities are more than just you know, prettifications at the end of a process of making. So like people talk about STEAM, but they often talk about STEAM in a kind of additive way. You know, if you just add a little arts at the end, then sort of magical things will happen. And we thought, no, it's actually, you know, the the domains of the arts and humanities and social sciences actually help do a deeper critical work, help us give context to the stuff that we build. Because technology, of course, is not... Uh, In a vacuum and moreover engineering is applied it's in the world so we know it's in the places where people live. So sketch model was this effort to uh, really just energize and oxygenate those questions on campus. And then the series is this um, set of conversations with seven different people, some of them engineers, some of them humanists or artists, to try to say, to look at it kind of historically and say, well, where has engineering education uh, been? Kind of what's been the big flow of the last hundred years or so? Um, Where does my own institution fall in that? But also what's happening in the engineering classroom now? What are some of its challenges? And what are the opportunities? Precisely for those kinds of deeper critical questions, because I think lots of people People have on their minds today, uh, a, a, you know, some consternation about uh, the moral compass within big tech, for example, um, the kind of, you know, foundational principles upon which, you know, big scalable technologies are built. And so, you, you know, we wanted to take a look at that with, again, with that kind of historical sweep and also with a, a, with a practical eye toward like, how can you build a laboratory classroom that has those ethics intact?
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, you you shared some surprising findings um, during the series from Professor Aaron Sack at the University of Michigan about engineering education and students. Um, You know, can you tell us about that and, and sort of the significance of those findings?
1: Yeah, I mean, we we started with Professor Seck uh, in episode one, because I do think it's a deep provocation for anyone invested in engineering. So Professor Seck herself um, started out in, in engineering as an undergrad, and then she eventually went into sociology. She still has a joint appointment in engineering at Michigan. But she takes a look at, um, yeah, what's happening in the engineering classroom and among engineering majors. And she found um, interviewing students, um, you know, longitudinally over time at a number of different uh, kinds of institutions, big research universities, small colleges. But what she found in aggregate, um, and this is research undertaken, I think, maybe five or 10 years ago, is that... um, Students' interests, so engineering students' interests in social and cultural issues and ethical questions in technology—that is, sort of better world, you know, wishes and initiatives—that that, that students started uh, their started their major w- with a fair amount of interest in those kind of real worlds challenges, but that those interests actually declined over four years, Louise. So <laughs> not only is this not what we would hope, which is that over four years of time, those interests grow and blossom and flourish by the time they graduate, but in fact, they went down over time. And so so Professor Seck has this kind of, you know, uh, real kind of thorny question posed to to the community that that's invested in young engineers, which is to say, what is it in the shape of an engineering curriculum that is actually stripping a little bit away uh, some of those more contextual and social questions. It's really interesting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, just based on your own experience in the classroom, is it is it something that you're noticing as well?
1: Well, you know, at Olin, we do try to house uh, technical issues within kind of real world uh, collaborations and projects. And I think probably some of your listeners, too, uh, have experienced sort of engineering in a project-based kind of model or human-centered design. There's certainly more of that than there was even 20 years ago. Um, But I do think there is a kind of, you know, and we get into this with other guests in the series There is a kind of denaturing uh, quality that happens when uh, when you're pushing for the kind of technical depth that a pre-professional program like engineering um, pursues. And there are questions, there are tensions and pressures from accreditation, uh, you know, sort of requirements and standards. There are, of course, an ever-changing technical landscape uh, into which engineers are entering but I would say, precisely for those reasons, uh, we need uh, equipped citizens, civic actors, who also understand, you know, the 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 way to act prudently to, uh, with an historical eye toward, um, you know, the, the kind of uh, the goods and the unintended consequences of technology. Um, that all of those, we need people, right, who are not only skilled but also wise. And I mean, this is a long debate, kind of like w- what is a college education for? Is it learning? what to think, you know, in that skills sort of way, that return on investment and, and job readiness, or this kind of how to think critical thinking, liberal arts kind of approach. You know, so at Olin, we sit, you know, in that very technical education, it's pre-professional. And, and Aaron Seck points out that, you know, engineering is actually one of the few fields in which you can walk out of undergrad and you know, become an engineer, you know, entry level, but become an engineer and make a really good living right away um, without graduate school, right? So you can walk right out and into the the job market, yes, perhaps, with the skills uh, intact. but the question, of course, is over the aggregate of a career and a lifetime, whether you are helping the domain to become Uh, it's, you know, most equitable and just and desirable future building, you know, kind of enterprise. So, you know, you asked, do I see it in in Olin students? I mean, we have a whole mix at Olin, students who get really turned on to human-centered design, to kind of equitable tech, to uh, public interest technology, it's often called now. Um, But, you know, we can't fight what is a kind of tidal wave of incentive and indeed the economic mobility, the social mobility that's offered by really high paying jobs in in big tech. So every year we send people to, you know, the biggest companies for um, for is for the status quo right and we owe we owe to to all of those students the, the kind of radical specificity of our commitment and our belief in them and our our assurance that we'll be there for them you know after after they graduate and my colleagues and I try to deeply invest in uh, in the whole person there, but but again, it's a bigger machine than us, you know. It ha- this this accreditation thing, the kind of status quo of engineering, and you know, Aaron SEC really calls for a much more robust scene of kind of um, professional organizations within engineering. You know, to there are some, of course. There's a, there's a kind of small engineering without borders, engineers without borders, and efforts like that. But she's calling for much, many more kind of professional development organizations among engineers themselves to continue to shore up this interest in um, in public service and civic life, all those kind of matters.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I guess that, that kind of leads perfectly into my next question is, you know, how how do you go about fixing something like this? How do you stop that decline? How do you... How do you bring back those those the interest in those kinds of concerns in, in engineering students? Because it, it seems like such a vital piece of of engineering, yeah. you know, improving the world.
1: Yeah. It's such a good question. I mean, <clears throat> you know, we we try at Olin to uh, both attract and retain many different kinds of thinkers to the field itself, right? So so one of the things that engineering historically has done is to sort of weed out people who would be strong, holistic contributors to the field by insisting that they do the kind of, uh, you know, abstracted uh, math and so on, sort of abstracted from real world problems to do those kinds of laboratory uh, cloistered exercises Outside of, you know, projects and collaboration. So we have tried to get people building things, in other words, right from the beginning and building things with external partners right from the beginning, so that students can see okay, there is a lifespan, you know, to the thing that I build, and it starts, you know, with a kind of close attention to the world and it's its needs and it's, uh, you know, adaptive resilience. And also then, you know, what happens, how do you get an object, you know, into the world? You know, how do you start? How do you refine? How do you test? And then how do you build it? And how do you deliver it? So, you know, I think... We and other institutions are trying to invest in that in that holistic connection so that students can see, right? It's never just the engineer is the person who's good at math and science in the equation formula building way, but rather that it takes a kind of whole um, set of and suite of skills and collaborators to do that. But I also, you know, I would love to see um, I would love to see much more philanthropy um, given to engineers to incentivize, for example, summer programs um, in which students work in nonprofits and other um, public equity, you know, kind of environments so that, you know, they're walking out with a very, you know, solid uh, industry friendly major and and job preparation, but that they've also had these formative experiences along the way that connect them to uh, what it means, again, to be uh, a whole citizen in the world. So I would like to see those kinds of investments. I mean, you know, I talked to several practitioners, um, the artist Mimi Anoaha, she's a creative technologist who also teaches, um, my colleague Amon Milner, um, and my colleague Earhart Grafe, all about how to Literally in the classroom, uh, you know, make experiences that do this really solid mix of technical prowess and um, strong, situated uh, cultural matters. And I also talked to James Malazita, who's at RPI, um, a little bit about the history of engineering education, but also about what he's doing um, in the kind of uh, computing space and working on critical issues in technology, but also teaching computing skills. In other words, not letting students see that there's sort of the real work of the laboratory. And then there's this other complementary thing you do, which is the ethics seminar on the side, right? And Aaron Seck actually has some analysis also about this. that, that's, that it, The paradox is that an ethics course designated as such can actually backfire in in sending the message to students that this is a separate matter like it's good it's important but it's sort of making you into a well-rounded engineer and you know we joked uh, in on the project of sketch model that we were against well-roundedness right not because we were against it but we were against the kind of shallow claims for why the humanities and social sciences matter uh, for for young technical makers right that, that we weren't trying to make them you know, able to have polite conversation at a dinner party and well-rounded in that way, right? We are trying to equip them with the, the enduring, you know, quite, uh, um, quite old idea of the university to make people free, right? By, uh, educating the whole person. And we were quite, uh, we were quite inspired, actually, by the philosopher Danielle Allen, who writes about what is education for? She has a wonderful article in the Boston Review, which is a distillation of a book project called What is Education For? And in it, she talks about the difference between a paradigm of professional readiness, so readiness for the job market, and None of us, I think, given the cost of college, would say that that's uh, an, an unimportant matter. No, it's quite important, professional readiness. But she points to and exhorts people to keep recovering this larger idea, which is participatory readiness. So readiness to uh, walk out and become a member of your free democratic society. You know, to become a a voting, deliberating, uh, contributing. Citizen with uh, a pluralistic, you know, mindset uh, in hand, understanding that we have to share the world, right, and we have to uh, take responsibility for the things that we put into it, and that participatory readiness, Alan says, is actually more important in delivering political equality and not just economic equality. I mean, sometimes I think the rationale or the rationale for STEM education is more economic mobility, and again, that is important but it doesn't achieve that political equality of the really enfranchised young person who sees themselves as part of a larger whole and not merely as a worker. So that's a long answer um, to your question, but it's both a kind of dispositional you know, mindset of the university to be really strong in its uh, in its formative history, forming young, uh, young people for more than worker status. It's also in the tiny choices that we can make in the classroom, and it's in these kind of extra extracurricular structures like how you spend your summers there's so much that can be done and we are constrained as a technical you know a technical institution we are not going to not you know be that we are going to be an engineering school but within that there's so much more it's creativity and uh again just oxygen to bring to to the status quo
0: absolutely yeah you know i feel i feel like this the answer to this next question might be kind of obvious but you know What does it mean for engineering as a profession if we, if we don't sort of rectify this decline, you know, what, if we're, if we have engineers out there who are, who are just becoming more and more jaded, you know.
1: It's really true. And I, you know, I don't think, you know, not to only not Google, but I think like, don't be evil, right? But that, that was the kind of, um, that was a kind of foundational ethos, right? But that's a that's a refraining statement. That's not a positive constitutive statement about what you do put into the world. That's not a real theory. You know, that's not a real theory of the good, (laughs) the common good. And so, right, you know, I think we owe young people uh, the kind of the both the urgency, but also the joy of trying to rediscover themselves as citizens, as people who are more than technical makers, because I, write, I do sense sometimes a kind of, um, well, the artist, Natalie Jeremijenko calls this a crisis of agency, right? In the, in the face of kind of overwhelming scaled technology. In other words, any young, young engineer can feel like, well, if I don't build it, somebody else will, right. Or, you know, th- these things are a kind of fait accompli, but actually my conversation, um, with Matt Wisnowski, I think that's episode 3 talks about how just that very idea that that technology is inevitable has a life of its own has a march beyond our grasp even that is like an historical idea that you know at a certain point gets invented right like we have to sort of we have to take a kind of um skeptical eye toward our own inherited assumptions about what technology is and does and if we know that it's a product ultimately of human decision-making and human intention and human consensus, then we know that it can be undone from what it is today, right? We know that those things can be changed, but you, you, for that equipment, you know, uh, intellectually c- character wise, you need much more than uh, skills. So, I mean, I'm always saying to young students who sometimes who say, why aren't we learning this programming language instead of the one that we're learning now? And I say like, no, 15 years from now, Neither of those languages is going to be in use, you know. Like so, you're not in college for that. You're in college to learn this much more robust thing, which is yes, how to teach yourself in the face of that ignorance in a in a skillful way, but also how to be responsive uh, in a wise way to to the challenges that are coming uh, down the path to you, not only in your job, you know, but also you know how do you think about the use of data, you know, in your local school district? You know, how do you think about, um, you know, the organization of bike lanes and city planning uh, at your city council meeting? I mean, engineers and their technology, uh, their artifacts in the world show up in lots of places. So, you know, I do remain hopeful because I see the hunger among young people for for, for these kinds of questions and for this kind of equipment. But I also just find that there's a real kind of fear-based mentality uh, that, like, if we don't give them, you know, X amount of this kind of technical depth, which again I would say is going to change. I mean, we know this. Aaron Sex says this. We know that most learning happens on the job anyway, right? Not to denigrate skills, but I do think we uh, there's some there's some kind of fear-based uh, resistance to uh, shoring up the humanities and social sciences aspect of of a technical education. And, you know, and, and yes, a kind of return on investment mentality, but, but we can't afford, seems to me, given the kind of high stakes of technology in our lives, we can't afford not to invest in a much more profound way in the formative character building of young people in technical fields and all young people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I wonder if you have any, um, you know, examples of of how schools are trying to do this, how professors might be trying to do this.
1: Yeah, um, uh, all over the place, people are really tackling this. Again, at RPI, if you look at James Malazita and his kind of, I think it's called the Technical Digital Humanities. I mean, he's, he's working on that uh, in spades. There's the uh, Human Centered Engineering Group at the University of Washington is doing uh, amazing work on this. The NYU Tisch's Interactive Telecommunications Program is doing that. My colleagues in disability at the Ability Lab also at NYU um, are are doing great work in this. Folks at uh, Ryerson, uh, folks at uh, OCAD, the Ontario College of Art and Design. So people in and around Technology, um, trying all the time to weave together human-centered practices or a, a combination of <clears throat> technology majors with, um, you know, other kinds of humanistic disciplines. I mean, the thing that you can do at at a at a research university or a liberal arts college is to keep continuing to encourage young people to hang on to those double majors if they want to, not to force them to pick a lane. You know, when I meet a young person who's double majoring in computer science and urbanism, I think, oh yeah, my money's on that young person, right? That's a young person who is really using uh, multiple parts of their brain. And so are they maybe in the short run, you know, missing a few uh, comparative classes, or maybe they didn't spend every summer in a technical, you know, kind of internship? in the long run, that person is investing in, uh, in the, the, the whole, uh, human wiser self like that. That's a person that I want, uh, at the helm. So people are doing it in these combined laboratory classrooms for sure. I think all of us can, again, uh, uh, keep, you know, avoid this kind of lane picking and typecasting. I hear it as young as K to 12, people say, are you a STEM kind of person or are you a humanities kind of person? And I think like, no, how about people, you know, how about people strongly invested in the the world? And, you know, the, I I think that even ABET, the accreditation um, for engineering now is written with enough, um, you know, porousness around the edges and enough kind of openness and flexibility that there's all kinds of ways to interpret and make holistic and, and substantive those very requirements. I mean, I really, I think it's there, you know, I mean, whether the evaluation boards can see it in their own language is another question, I guess, case by case, but I do feel like people are, um, people are seeking to to make those kind of creative inventions you know that that do that that fortifying work and and above all i really would like to see those professional organizations um come alongside engineers to sort of lifelong learning uh investments and graduate master classes and things and of course companies can do this too in trying to help uh, young people continue to deepen their interest in uh Ethics and the subethics, you know, I mean, technical ethics is an entire realm of scholarship, you know, you couldn't even possibly touch it. But I think sometimes we settle for, for quite little, you know, like, oh, if we think about the consequences we, sh- we should right now think about the consequences of this thing we're making. Okay, well, now we thought about it. and Now we're moving on. You know, like you, you could spend a lifetime uh, exploring models and paradigms for technology. So there, there have to be ways to keep dropping in and alongside young engineers and, and older engineers.
0: I did want to offer an opportunity to to provide any final thoughts before we close it up.
1: Yeah. I mean, if people are interested, we we'd love to hear from you. If you're interested in, uh, if you're interested in audio and you uh, take a listen to the sketch model podcast, we are trying there to just Take a point of view about um what the future, again, beyond STEAM. I'm for STEAM, but I think some of you listening are are similarly dissatisfied maybe with um the the models and the means and the the language for a truly uh enriched, you know, liberal education that also shows up in STEM. And if you are, take a listen to the podcast if you like and reach out to us because um, at Olin, we are trying to do this. In a way that that continues to make us better to try to commit to experimentation and um, collaborations and so on so go check it out
0: well thank you so much for joining us today sarah it's been an amazing conversation and i learned a lot and i hope our listeners did too and again if you'd like to listen to episodes of sketch model uh an audio series presented by olin college of engineering uh, please visit olin.edu sketchmodel Again, that's O-L-I-N E-D-U sketchmodel. And if you'd like to hear more great conversations on a wide range of engineering topics, please subscribe to the ASME TechCast on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. I'm Louise Poirier, and thanks so much for listening.